Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. So we, uh, just to give you before we get into the, the sermon and the baptism today, just a little bit of, of where we're going. Um, we're going to begin a series in a few weeks on the miracles of Christ. So we'll be in the Gospels for maybe eight to 10 weeks. Um, but before that, we'll have a few standalones. And then the, the best that I can tell you is after that, we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments. And after that, the book of Hebrews. So that, that's the plan right now. Um, it, again, in the next maybe three, four weeks, you'll see some standalone sermons, but then we're going to get into to that, that, those, that's the, the path. So if you're somebody that likes to read ahead, um, Hebrews, Ten Commandments, um, and Gospels is, is where we're going to be. Um, all right, so the, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul in the letters in the New Testament, he often got accused of being this guy that was against the law of Moses. He, would, he, he was preaching the, the grace of, of Christ, and he was preaching it so adamantly that, that many of the Jews of his time were like, whoa, wait a minute, dude. If you, what you say is true, people are just going to live any way that they want. And Paul had to constantly not necessarily preach against that, but answer those objections that people had. Um, for instance, uh, we're not, and again, we're not going to have the, the screen on today. If you, if you want to read along, we're going to be in Romans, Romans 5, Romans 6, but I'm jumping all over as well. Romans 5, 20 to 21. Paul says this. Now the law, and he's talking about the law of Moses, came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So he said many things like this. So again, think about what he's doing. He's talking to, to Jews and, and Gentiles, but he's saying, hey, the law increased the trespass, and where sin increases, grace just piles up all the more. And you might hear that, and you might understand why some people could get the gospel wrong. In fact, in, in Romans 6.1, he continues to, to talk same thought. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's answering the subjection that people had. Like, hey, if you're telling me that the more we sin, the more God pours his grace out on us, why don't we just sin more? Then we'll experience more grace. And he is asking that question, shall we say then, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And I, I don't think anyone in here would maybe ask that question like that, but I do think shades of this get into our minds and into our hearts. And, and, and I'll, I'll just 
say it a few few ways. And and again, maybe maybe this has been you. Um, I know in my my walk as a Christian, at, at times it's been me. But here's a few things that can kind of this can play out like this. Well, following the law of God is is just legalism, right? Well, Jesus says just to, to love God and love neighbor, the rest is, is he's, he's doing away with the rest of that stuff, isn't he? Didn't he abolish the law? All oh, those Pharisees, they were the ones who were all about the law. They were all about morality. They didn't have any love in their hearts. And, and again, you, you may have thought something like this, or here's another one. The Old Testament is all about law. The New Testament is all about grace. And those statements are all of course, wrong. Every, every one of them is wrong. A helpful way to think about the law and the Christian is to understand that lawlessness in the New Testament, you could go to 1 John here, but lawlessness, John calls sin. And the New Testament has a lot to say about sin. A lot. So the New Testament, when it's talking about sin, it is talking about lawlessness. So as Christians, how we relate to the law um, can be different, but the law still stands. And if you're, you're in here thinking about, well, what about the sacrifices and, and all of that? I, we're going to be in Hebrews, so we're going to extensively cover that. So for now, we're not going down that trail. But let, let's read from Isaiah Um, The prophet Isaiah, Old Testament, in chapter 48, verses 17 and 18, he says this. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So think about what Isaiah is saying, and this holds true to us. God, through Isaiah, is saying, oh, if you just followed what I said, you would have peace. It would be flowing like a river, but you're not, and you don't have peace. The Assyrians are going to come. The Babylonians are going to come. You're not going to be living in in Jerusalem anymore. You're going to be in Babylon. You're not going to have the temple. You're not going to have the sacrifices. Oh, that you just listened to my commandments. Then you would have peace. I've said this many times, and and it's pertinent again. When Satan in the garden whispered in Eve's ear, she planted a seed of doubt with, with Eve that God was withholding. That, that one piece of fruit on that particular tree, the one that God said, don't eat of it because when you do, you, you will die. She listened to the serpent. He planted doubt and then she began thinking and, and again we think like this we have to remember this is us this, this 
There's fragments of this lie every day in our lives. And and the lie is this, that God is withholding from you. Whatever that is that you think you need that is against the scriptures, it could be lust, it could be you name it. Just what, what is it that you want that maybe you're dabbling in right now that you know God says don't do it and you're doing it. And the lie that you're believing is if I don't do this thing, My life is going to be less. The God that I worship is withholding from me. But that's not how God speaks of his law. We just saw it in Isaiah. He says, oh, if you would have paid attention to my commandments, to my law. Oh, if you would have walked in my ways, you would have peace. And that stands for you, for me, um, for Christians. Oh, if we would walk in God's ways, we would have peace. So how do you relate to the law of God? I would just ask that to, to all of us this morning. Where do you think you fall on this spectrum? Are you kind of an anti-law? Hey, we can do whatever we want. Um, and again, you hear this often. Um, Jesus just said to, to love God and love your neighbor. Why, why do we have to, to live specific ways? Is, is that you? Does that seep into your faith with God? Or, or maybe it's the thing that, that you're doing and, and you think, if, if I don't do that, my life is going to be less than, and I would just press on you and say, no, if you follow God, follow what the Bible says, you will live the best life that you can. It might include suffering, it might include persecution, but it is a life of peace. But Paul comes along and he starts talking in a way that seems like he's getting rid of this law. And he says in Romans 3, 21 to 24, after he kind of lays out that no human being is righteous, every human being has fall, fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says, and these are the famous just but now verses in the Bible. These are the gospel verses. Romans 3, verses 21 to 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, Paul's saying things like this, and and he's got to ask that question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that God's grace may abound? So if you have your Bibles and you're reading along, you can see Romans 6, 2, the next verse, he answers that question, and he answers it emphatically, by no means. And then we got to look at what does he appeal to here? What does he appeal to? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? 
brothers and sisters, when you came to, to faith in Christ, whenever that happened for you, and I know for some of you, you it, it, it was like lightning hitting you, and others, maybe you were young, and, and you can't quite put a finger on when it happened, but when you came to faith, the Bible says there is a moment in time that you came to faith. The Holy Spirit comes upon you, indwells you, and you are born again. You become a child of God. At that moment, you died to sin. The old self died. It was crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ. He paid for your sin. Brothers and sisters, you have died to sin. You are no longer a slave. Romans 6 just keeps going and talks about becoming slaves to God or slaves to sin. Bob Dylan says something like this. You got to serve someone. It's either the devil or it's going to be the Lord, but you're going to serve someone. You're going to be a slave to sin and that manifests in many different ways. That could be your job, money, sex, whatever. You're a slave to that or you're a slave to God. And when you come to faith in Christ, you have died to your old self. And Paul's saying, how, we don't go on sinning. We died to that. How can we still live in it? Sin no longer has mastery over you. Oh yes, we still sin. And the remnants of that old self are there and sometimes they feel really powerful we are no longer slaves to sin. God has given you a new heart with new desires. As I look out and, and look at everyone here and, and think, um, just think about this thought for a moment. It's New Year's Day. You came here at 9.30 in the morning on New Year's Day. Like, something is motivating you to do that. And I don't I mean, it could be works. It, it certainly could be works. Someone might have dragged you here. You might feel like you have to come. Um, but you're here at 9.30 on New Year's morning. This is God moving in your heart. You read his word. You sing his songs. You're moved when you sing about the grace of God. There was a time in your life when you weren't moved when you sang about the grace of God. There was a time in your life when you could read the Bible and say, I don't want any of this. But you've been changed. You have died to sin. And we're going to look at how Paul says you've come alive. But you've not only died to sin, you've died to the law. The law, sin is no longer your master and the law is no longer your master. We're going to read here Paul again from Galatians 2. Paul says, for, for through the law... I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So not only have you died to sin, it's no longer your master, you've died to the law. 
And whether you were religious before you came to Christ or non-religious, we all have in our minds this idea, if I live like this, then I'm a good person. And these people over there who are not living like my standard says, they're not good. That law can manifest in so many different ways. But Christian, you have died to the law. You no longer need the affirmation of others. You're no longer working for God's good pleasure. You have died. That part of you, if asked this question, why should you be in heaven with God? The part of you that would have said, because I'm relatively a good person, that person is dead. And maybe you're in here and and that's you. And you're like, well, that's why I think I would be in heaven. And I would just say, listen to the gospel because the gospel says you are not a good person. No, not one. We are all, we have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all sinned. And if we really, really are honest with our own hearts, we know that we're not good. We need God's goodness. And and one of the ways that I would illustrate this is just think about your, your, maybe your last week. If we were to take a highlight of of some of your thoughts for the last week and put them up on the screen and just say, okay, all right, we're we're not going to do Pastor Anthony. Last week, last seven days, here's Pastor Anthony's thoughts. I would be mortified. You don't want to hear my thoughts. You don't want to see that. I'd be mortified. Right? We, We all know if, and if we don't, we're just not being honest. Amen. James uh, says in, in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So James is making this case. He's like, if you're trying to live by the law, if you're trying to be justified by the law, okay, you've got to do it perfect. Nobody can do it perfect. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you have died to the exhausting demands of the perfection needed to be right in the eyes of God through the law. And you have also died to sin. So in your coming to faith, you have died. Your old self, in a sense, has died. And and what does Paul appeal to here in Romans. He, he appeals to believers' baptism. Track with me here, Romans 6, 3, and the beginning of 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So um, after the, the sermon, we're going to sing a song, and then um, we're going to hear Brandon and Ivy's testimonies, um, and then they're going to be dunked in the water, and, and it, it is this picture right here. Paul says, buried with Christ in baptism. So that going into the water is symbolic of death. This is why in, in, in our Baptist tradition, um, and I say Baptist meaning um, any church that baptizes believers in, in that tradition, um, 
we do believer's baptism and we do dunking because it is symbolic. It shows the gospel. It shows a death happening, and then we're going to talk about rising to new life. So there's some, not some, there is symbolism in baptism. Christianity is about dying. Think about that for a moment. It, it is about dying. Not only do we die to the law, not only do, do we die to our sin, we die to our selfish desires every day. Matthew says, and uh, um, actually Jesus says in the book of Matthew, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. So, so Jesus is saying, if you're just going to hoard life and life on this earth and everything be about you and not give anything and not give of yourself and not deny your desires, if it's all going to be about fulfilling your desires, you're going to lose your life. You're going to lose it. Extreme examples of this, think about it. Extreme examples, people that give themselves to, to just alcohol or drugs. You can see, in some cases, people's death happening at a rapid pace. At a rapid pace. And Jesus says, if you're going to fulfill, not pick up your cross and follow me, and you're going to live like life is all about you, you're going to lose it. You're not going to have a life as God desired you to have a life. But then he goes on, Christianity is not all about dying. And we're going to transition into to life. And he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So again, this is the kingdom of God. It, it, it does not makes sense with the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world is all about pride, boasting. Think about getting a job. You got to put a resume together. You got to tell that employer how great I am. Here's everything that I've done. This is how great I am. That's the world we live in. And, and, and Jesus is, is flipping that on its head and saying, no, lose, lose your life for my sake and you're going to find life. And that, I mean, we could do a 10-week series on that. Like, what does it mean to lose your life for Christ's sake? Paul, in uh, his pastoral epistles, says that there is a life that is truly life. I think it's 1 Timothy. It might be 2 Timothy. But he says, you can, you can take hold of the life that is truly life, or you can live and breathe and be alive and be dead. And even as Christians, we have this path in, in front of us every Day. We can choose to obey God and have that peace that Isaiah is talking about. Oh, if you would have just listened to my commandments, you would have peace. Or we can choose to go our own stubborn way and not have peace and create problems with everyone around us in our lives, in our own heart. We have that choice. But Christianity is not all about dying. Yes, we've been crucified with Christ. Praise God. If you're in here and you know Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins. And I've heard some of your testimonies about that, that feeling of being forgiven. And just for some of you, it has been a just like lightning striking you. You knew the moment that you were forgiven in Christ and that was everything. It was everything that weighed you down was now off. Praise God, we've been forgiven. 
The penalty of sin is not hanging over your head like a dark cloud ready to just unleash on you anymore. But Christianity is not just about forgiveness. There is more. Romans 6, 4, the the back half of 4. Again, he's talking about baptism. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So again, we're going we're gonna to watch two baptisms and we're going to see buried under the water, symbolic. The old self has died, died to the law, died to sin, and raised to new life. Raised to new life. If you are a student or uh, reader of, of the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern. It, it, it's, it's front and center in the book of, of Exodus. And, and think about this for a moment. You, you, God's people are in Egypt. They're, they're in slavery, and God delivers them. He delivers them out of Egypt. He does it miraculously. They're standing up against the water and the, the Egyptians are coming and the sea is parted and they go through and then the water um, engulfs the Egyptians. But he doesn't just leave them. Oh, they wanted to just wander in the wilderness, right? They, they were content. Well, maybe not content. They were actually content to go back to Egypt. But God had something better for them. Newness of life. He had the promised land for them. The land of milk and honey. He had a new life for them. He had a life of worship. A life of community with his people. A life centered around God in the temple. A life different from all the nations around them. A life of true freedom because it was a life worshiping God. And he was bringing them into that. But they had to be pushed into that. And Christians, I think often we so can, can major on the, the forgiveness of sins and what God has freed us from, and sometimes we forget that he's calling us in, that he's raised us to new life, new life from the Father, and we can walk in this newness of life. We don't have to walk in our sin anymore. Those impulses, old sinful impulses are still there, but we are not slaves to them anymore. We're not in bondage So you and I are beckoned to this new life in God. And just to to show you a little bit in the book of Ephesians, uh, I think it'll give us a little snapshot into it. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 and 12. And, And let's really think about these verses together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, so that's all of us, at one time you Gentiles, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, that was a derogatory term that the Jews called the Gentiles by what is called the circumcision. So all he's saying there is the Jews who were called the circumcision were calling the Gentiles uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Remember that. Everyone in here at one point, you were separated from Christ at one point alienated from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Brothers and sisters, there was a point in your life, and maybe some of you in here, you are this now. Separated from Christ. Alienated. He's saying the commonwealth of Israel here, I would say alienated from the church and God's people, this. Strangers to the covenants, not, not having any of the hope and any of the promises that are unfolding in the covenants throughout the Bible. Just strangers to that hope, can you imagine? Yes, you can imagine, because at one point that was you. And then he finishes it with having no hope. There was a point in our lives where we had no hope. Oh yeah, we would find hope in God's created things and that thing would move and, and we would put our hope in it and it would let us down and we'd go to the next. But ultimately what Paul is saying is we had no hope without God in the world. But you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's why we sing about the blood. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ on the cross. And he goes on to say, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We were far. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And part of being brought near is being brought into the church, into the fold of God. And there are churches all over this globe right now, this morning, um, worshiping. So part of being uh, saved into something is being saved into the life of the church into the life of the church. And now by the Holy Spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus, you have been saved. The law has been put to death and your sin has been put to death and there's nothing between you and the Father. You can cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. Tender words to the Father and he hears you. The moment you came to faith in Christ, you died. Eternal life with God began. Your old self with God, your old self with its God-hating passions died too. And your forthcoming physical death was transformed into an entrance into glory. So the moment you come to faith, you die and your impending death becomes something beautiful. God is the ultimate redeemer and restorer. And we receive this by faith. That's it. And again, Paul's saying, no, that doesn't nullify us living lives, of, uh, uh, lives according to God's law. No, we, we keep it. In fact, in Romans 3.31, he says, do we overthrow the law by this faith? And here's another emphatic, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. 
So through your faith in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we live and, and are empowered to live the way that God has for us. So we can't just look at, at our life as a Christian and say, well, all I need to do is love God and love neighbor. No, that is wrong. I want you to hear that. That is wrong. We are to live the way that Jesus called us to live. In fact, when we read the, the Gospels, just think for a moment the Sermon on the Mount. Like Jesus takes Old Testament law and he raises it. Oh, you, you haven't committed adultery? Mm. Are you lusting? Same thing. You haven't committed murder? Are you angry? Same thing. So, so the law in the New Testament, often called the law of Christ, is not simpler than the Old Testament. It is actually harder. It, it is to the heart and um, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to live that law. So if you're in here and, and you have come to faith, and, and, and I hope I'm just in, in some way through God's word and the message stirring up what, what has already happened to you and, and reminding you of God's grace. Um, and maybe you're in here and, and you've come to faith and you haven't been baptized. Um, I would just say, hey, we're, we're going to be doing this again. Um, and I think it's, uh, we haven't exactly figured out the date, but probably June, we're going to have another baptism. Um, so if you're interested, talk to me, talk to Steve, um, and we can walk you through that. But in the New Testament, there's really, um, there's one way that when believers are, are experience this grace, like, um, okay, now what? Now, now what do we do? In fact, in, it, let's go to Acts uh, 2. Verse 37. So Peter preaches this amazing sermon, and it's, it's about Christ, and, and he goes into the Old Testament, and, and it's just amazing. And, and they heard it, and it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You hear the gospel. That's the question. Now what? I believe it. It cut me to the heart. Now what? And here's Peter's answer. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So if you're in here and you haven't been baptized, just I would, I would challenge you if, you, if you believe, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, um, what he, the first thing he's asking you to do is be baptized. Be baptized. In fact, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, we're making disciples. This is part of what Sunday is here. We're, we're hearing the preached word. We're singing the word. Um, discipleship is happening. It's happening outside of the church too during the week. Um, but he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptize. Baptism is a line in the sand. It's a statement of allegiance, which makes it difficult, which makes it extremely 
difficult because some people are going to struggle with, hey, I don't know if I can stand up in front of the church and, and give a testimony or um, I don't want all those eyes on me. And, and, and this used to be me. You guys know my story. I, I mean, I, I had said in my early 20s, there's one thing I don't want to do, and that's talk in front of people for a living. And God smiled upon that, and, and he's done it. Um, but, but so one of the things that baptism does is it forces you to re- do really strong work within your own heart and say, do I believe this message enough to confront all my um, insecurities and discomfort with doing this? Uh, talking to some pastors who do overseas work, they'll, they'll often tell you in Muslim uh, families, so Muslim families where children come to faith, it isn't usually until the baptism that the parents say, all right, we disown you now, because it's the public confession of faith. There, there is something in this, in, in the publicness of this, that God uses in our hearts. And in the Old Testament, he often sets up, uh, asks his people to set up altars when he moved. Set up stones here so that, that people remember what I've done here. And baptism is like that. We look back on our baptism and we can say, no, I, I made the public confession, the good confession in front of many witnesses. Ah. When we have doubts about our faith, we can look back to our baptism as, and remember, no, I, I did that. I, I really wrestled through that. When we're forgetting who we are in Christ, we can remember our baptism. When we're tempted to give our allegiance to the world, we can remember our baptism. That's what Paul's doing here in Romans 6. He's saying, should we sin no and should we go on sinning? No, remember your baptism. You died to sin and you were raised to new life. Remember your baptism. So maybe you are wrestling with this and I would just, um, again, exhort you. um, There's going to be fear in this. Um, I really haven't met many people that didn't wrestle a little with fear when it comes to your baptism. Um, But it is, you will be blessed in doing it. And, and everyone in here I know can attest to that who's been baptized as a believer. Um, so let's pray and, and we will, we're going to sing um, and then we're going to come out here and hear from Brandon and Ivy and, and hear bits of their story. Um, and I think we'll all be blessed to, to hear their story and um, looking forward to it. So let, let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for newness of life that you've given us. Lord, your, your, your love is, is deep for us. You, you, you love us beyond what we can even fathom. You've changed our hearts. You've given us hope. As we listen to these stories of you working, Lord, I pray that, that you are the one that gets the glory. Salvation is yours. From top to bottom, you get all the glory. And as we hear the stories from Ivy and Brandon, just move our hearts as a family of God to to love each other, to worship you, to exalt in you. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. 
To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.